Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. A warning to all you animal lovers slash hippy-dippy people out there. A man, no, sorry, the star of the Matrix films has a bone to pick with the world. And then we travel across America. In the late 1890s, a series of airships, mysterious ships in the sky, were seen all over the country. We're going to take a look at some of the most interesting ones. And yes, it's an interactive adventure today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Happy New Year's. This is the official New Year's episode. It is January 1st on the west coast of the United States. Doesn't matter where you live. This is all that matters. It's January 1st here. So happy New Year's, people. We made it. We got a lot of stuff to cover today. Actually, before we get started, I've been pitching my Minecraft server for a while. And a while back, I said there was a secret hidden civilization out in the wilderness. And it was, it's been found by Flashman7870. So congratulations on that. If you guys want to join the Minecraft server, it's totally awesome. You can chat. You can have fun. I am thinking, though, of starting everything over again and no protection. So it'll basically be anarchy. But we'll see. I won't be anarchy. I'm going to be your god, your floating creative god over the field, building whatever I want. But I'm thinking about it. So hit me up in the comments, email, whatever. So, But I really like the Minecraft server. I think it's the closest we're going to come to having some sort of Discord-esque thing for a while. Because this is far easier for me to mod than Discord. So that's just where we're at right now. Let's go ahead and get started now with our first story. Our first story is going to be really short, but it's important. This vet is sitting there in his doctor's office uh, doing some paperwork and stuff. He's like, I love my job. I love saving animals. Then all of a sudden, his door gets kicked in. And a dude comes in carrying a German Shepherd. He he throws it on the table and he goes, save my dog. The dog's like, (gasps) (laughs) okay, just the dog, the dog lives. Okay, just cut to the chase. Anyways, you don't know that yet. (gasps) and the doctor's like, "Uh uh-oh, we don't have time to get in the operating room. Bring me my stuff here, and they cut him open on the desk, and they look, and the the vet's like, hmm, there was an easier way to do this, but the dramatic way is for me to cut this dog open and look. You're like, I don't want to listen to this horrible podcast. The dog lives. The dog lives, okay? I was just building the narrative of the world's most intense veterinarian. The point, okay, so let's forget forget that topic where a dog gets cut. So I don't know why I started with that. Forget it. Forget it. This is the point of the story. Dogs totally fine. But a bunch of dogs aren't. So apparently, dogs... This is where it gets depressing again, guys. You have to have the jokes before you get... You have to give the sugar before you give the salt, right? Dogs are dying all over the United States. Some cats, too. But it's not really the focus of this. Dogs dying everywhere. I'm sure you've seen it on the news. Streets are littered with them. The reason why they're dying is actually very, very stupid. If, listen, if you want to be a vegetarian, vegan, 
whatever weirdo diet you want to be on, fine. But when it comes to, like, babies and animals, just feed them what they would eat in the wild. I.e., great value dog food from Walmart. Just feed them garbage. Not kids. Don't feed the kids that. But don't go out of your way to buy fancy-dancy foods for your pets. Because what has happened is that... The FDA has said, listen, dogs are having heart attacks. And we this is the reason why. We don't know exactly which brands are causing this, but it's what they call beg foods, which is kind of ironic because that's what dogs do to eat beg foods. Boutique, exotic ingredients, or grain-free foods. So when you go and you spend $14 for a can of dog food, you feel like, oh, yeah, dude, this is totally awesome. This was made by, like, Sherpas in the Himalayas and carbon footprints negative five producing this stuff. It has these exotic ingredients, but it's killing animals. What happens is there's an ingredient or a lack of ingredients in these foods that are making the heart wall of the dogs get thinner. And, again, some cats, but they have tiny hearts anyways. I think they start off thin. The dog hearts get thinner and thinner and thinner, and then they die. It's the reverse of the Grinch. So, the point of the story is don't feed your dogs that stuff. Don't feed your dogs that stuff. The FDA is saying, we. Th- this is their working theory. The dogs have a lack of taurine, you know, that stuff in energy drinks. Dogs need that. Humans might. That's why it gives you wings. But it gives hearts to dogs. Don't, do, okay, do not feed your dog a Red Bull. But apparently, I'm sure the taurine is different. But... They know that these type of foods don't have this. When they started treating these animals with taurine, their hearts got better. And they said, listen, we know in big breeds of dogs, they have this heart disease thing. It's called DCM, or dilated cardiomathopathy. Well, I'm not a uh, veterinarian. Also, I think they do operations on their desk. That's another reason why I'm not a veterinarian. This is a genetic disease, and sometimes big dogs have it. But now, like, little chihuahuas are having it. Little dudes, and they're saying... There's no specific timeline, so some dogs may be eating this food for years and years and years, and their heart gets thin, and they go, we've seen dogs die in as soon as six months. You're like, Jason, this is a terrible way to start today's episode, and you're right. So we're going to move on to the next topic. I just wanted to let you guys be aware that if you are some homeopathic voodoo weirdo out there who's not feeding their dogs great value food from Walmart... Or just buying it at the dollar store. I'm not saying that's healthier, but it honestly probably is. Because it's full of just pig scrapings and and horse nostrils and all sorts of stuff that a dog needs to eat, apparently. They need grains. They don't need exotic ingredients or boutique foods. And I would argue humans don't either. Just eat stuff off the ground like a normal American human. Let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. Now... This one is weird, and I don't really even know how to, like, dig into it without giving... Because this is halfway a Dead Rabbit Recommends, and halfway the a look into the mind of a... of a troubled man. Now, we all remember the movie The Matrix. We all remember the American classic, and in The Matrix, you had your star, and then you had the supporting cast, obviously. The star of that movie, really, wasn't Keanu who? Keanu who? Would have been a better joke. But I didn't tell that one. Carrie... Oh, her away? Boo! Lawrence Fish Burn, more like Lawrence Fish Smell. Pew-wee! The main star of that movie, the main star of the Matrix movie was Marcus Chong. 
a.k.a. Tank, the dude on the Nebuchadnezzar. Actually, one of the only four remaining surviving characters from the Matrix. Now, I remember when you saw Reloaded, because I was peeking through the bushes, you were watching the living room, and I was like, yes, enjoy the movie. I remember looking at you and seeing the disappointment on your face. When you found out that Marcus Chong was killed off screen, there would be no tank in Reloaded or Revolutions. Humanity rose up and said, M-Cat, M-Cat. That means Marcus Chong is tank. M-Cat. I didn't make that up. We'll get to that in a second. M-Cat. The movies did not do as well financially. This all is the reality that is presented to you in the short documentary, Must See, The Marcus Chong Story. It's on YouTube, and this is the part that's a Dead Rabbit Recommends. I really recommend you guys watching it. But why? Why am I asking you to spend 40 minutes of your time watching a self-made documentary about Marcus Chong not getting cast in the movie The Matrix? Because it is flat-out bizarre. Here is the story. I'm going to keep this brief because I, I, I would like you guys to watch the documentary. It's fascinating. Marcus Chong was a young actor who did roles in like Roots, The Next Generation. That was a miniseries. It was a sequel to the seminal miniseries Roots starring LeVar Burton. He was in like some Broadway plays. He had done, I think, like Little House on the Prairie or something like that. He had done some television work, right? And then he gets cast to do the role of Tank in The Matrix. And he, according to him, only got paid a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I know what you're thinking, because I often think the same thing. That's fine, a couple hundred thousand dollars. But in the world of Hollywood, it's really not a lot of money. He finds out on the set that Joey Pants, the guy who played Cypher, the villain, got paid like a million or a couple million dollars. And he went to the producers, the directors, the Wachowskis. Goes up and says, hey, you know, how come he's getting millions? I'm just getting a couple hundred thousand dollars. They didn't give him a car. He had to walk to the set each day. They gave him a hotel room. Like, it really makes it seem like they were torturing Marcus Chong. And he has this idea, too. So, back after, right after The Matrix was released, he begins filming a documentary about how the world is against him. Specifically, the producers of The Matrix and the directors, the Wachowskis. So... Imagine having a bone to pick for 18 years, and that bone starting then, and and recording phone calls, recording phone calls with people, to the point where you're talking on the phone, and then you're holding your tape recorder up, that's how long ago this was, people just were using tape recorders, up to the phone so you could get the other point of the conversation, and then talking, and then holding, so every... Which is illegal in the state of California. The other person needs to know that they're being recorded. Because I used to be a journalist. I had to look at all that stuff. It's what, it's it's so amateurish that this person's trying to provide proof that he's being screwed over. But you miss the first five words of everything the other person's saying. Must see the Marcus Chong story is a bizarre descent into the world of one man who believes to this day that he was completely ripped off. But again, that's not the point of the story. That's not the point of the segment because that's just a guy. <laughs> that's just a guy who has a has a business beef. What makes the story weirder is that it's basically in the end because the Wachowski brothers ended up transitioning to the Wachowski siblings. They're two trans women now. Then the documentary basically 
I don't want to say says that that's some sort of curse or some sort of madness that's been inflicted against the enemies of Marcus Chong, but it the last five minutes, the last five minutes of this documentary are jaw-droppingly weird. I was actually, I think it was with Myth on, I think it was with Myth W on the Minecraft server. I was hanging out on there and I was talking to him, and I'm sorry if this is the wrong person, but I said, you got to watch this documentary. And they watched it too. And when they got to the ending, they're like, what was up with that ending? And I'm like, it's weird. It's totally a bizarre little documentary because it's one man's point of view on this battle that you can go and look up any of this information, really. So maybe it did just turn out to be a Dead Rabbit Recommends, a very long one. But it does start to border in some really weird things at the end where he's like a sexy, virile young male and Keanu Reeves dated a trans woman, and that's some sort of bizarre curse. And if you think that I'm reaching too much on that, he made a second little film that's also in the show notes that's set to the Twilight Zone music, and it's like, everyone who wronged me will be trapped on the Nebuchadnezzar, which is not how you pronounce it, it's Nebuchadnezzar, but all the souls who wronged me, like Keanu Reeves, will be trapped on the Nebuchadnezzar, floating through October 18th, 2000, forever. Their souls are trapped. So it's definitely some, there's definitely some weird stuff going on here. But I really recommend watching that movie. Let's go ahead and move on to our last topic. I talked way too long about Marcus Strong. Hey, that rhymed. Let's go ahead and get your numbers ready. We're going to do an interactive adventure on airships. And I'm going to tell you right now, this episode's probably going to run a little long. But that's okay. It's our New Year's Day special. We're going back to the year 1896. We had a ton of airship sightings back then. They're basically the old-timey version of a UFO sighting. We see metallic discs, lights shining, little grays walking around. They saw big old blimps, which is a curious thing. Now, some of them, it did appear that they saw some sort of, like, metallic objects as well, but they never really go into the saucer thing. A lot of times, these things are like big cigars or blimps with people on them. Literal boats with blimps that are flying around. Now, I don't want to get into... We can do a totally different episode on that. I'm actually going to write that down. As to why people saw blimps, I actually have a pretty good theory on that. But we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about my interesting theory. We're going to talk about airships. So pick a number between 1 and 5. Okay, got it? Okay, let's go. First off, we're going back to the year 1896. This was actually the very first big airship sighting in America was on November 17th. 1896. It was in Sacramento, my hometown. Sac town. Now, it's a couple days later. It's November 19th, 1896. We're going to the city of Stockton. Murder capital of the world. Even back then, old-timey people just getting shot, uh, doing old-timey meth. We're going to meet a guy named Colonel H.G. Shaw. He's riding in a buggy, which I'm pretty sure was a car. I mean, did it have horses? Did they have cars back? I guess I probably should have looked that up. Anyways, doesn't matter. He's in some sort of wheeled vehicle, right? Could he just be, he could have just been running on the log for all I care. The point is, he's going down the road. I'm assuming it's a car because there's no horses mentioned in the story. And then, poof, 150 foot long airship comes flying by. Uh. Whoa, log. <laughs> he steps off the log and it just moves a little bit more. That's how you break the log. He gets off and the ship descends down. Doo, 
Now, it's not like today when you're like, oh, no, UFO, hit it. And you're like going 90 miles an hour and the the spacecraft's going 120. And you're like, uh. This is like you get off whatever vehicle you're in. And then the shit, I mean, it's a blimp, right? It's a big old blimp. It's it's going to go slow, right? And he's checking his watch. He's like, oh, better invent a watch. Invents it. And he's like, oh, yeah, still got a while. <laughs> Lands. Three seven-foot-tall slender aliens jump out. That's a bad combination. Like, seven feet tall and slender, you're going to have a real hard time wrestling those guys. And that's what happens, because the aliens come out, they start checking out his buggy. They're, like, looking under the hood. They're like, hmm, look at the exhaust manifold here. They're all total car nerds. And he's just watching these giant dudes kind of mess around with this car. And then they look at him, and they grab him. And this is considered the first published account of an alien abduction. And he starts wrestling these guys. And they're like, trying to pull him on the ship. And then finally, he breaks free. And that scares the aliens. And they take off running. And you can imagine as they're running, they're like, note to self, build a tractor beam or figure out a way to paralyze these guys. And then their descendants later were three foot tall slender dudes and they were like shooting dudes with paralyzing rays which is the grays we have today now if you picked number five you are driving down a road in stockton and you have a big old timey mustache and mutton chops doesn't matter male or female you're totally ducked out in the old timey facial hair and you see a giant ship slowly come down in front of you Aliens jump out. It's the same ones. They all got, like, fingerprint bruises on their arms from their last battle. They're ready this time, though. They they just totally overpower you. They bring a fourth one. That's all they needed was one more. You're like, no, no. If you pick number five, you are carried aboard the alien starship. And, I'll give you something, whatever item is directly to your left, you're able to grab that before they throw you on the ship. So now, you spend the rest of your possibly short life wrestling seven-foot-tall aliens in a giant gladiator somewhere in space. A carved-out asteroid full of old-timey aliens. They all have, like, barber poles and, and like, canes and stuff like that, because even the aliens would be old-timey because it's 1896. And you get to fight aliens and maybe win. Maybe you are plucky enough. Maybe you're fit enough. Maybe you just happen to have... (laughs) A shotgun to the left of you. Aliens. We've never seen such technology. We've only built hyperdrive. We don't know what a firearm is. So if you pick number five, that is your fate. A fate of glorious combat in the alien arena. Trust me, I think that's the best best fate. I would love to fight aliens. I would just do it for free in real life. I would box aliens, dude. And I think that's why I've never seen one. I've seen tons of ghosts, seen a couple demons, seen some weird stuff, never seen an alien. (laughs) I think it's because even a good one, I'm just going to town. I'm going to town. Speaking of abductions, I just got abducted to go to work. I'm finished recording this episode a couple hours later. It's nine, about 9.30 at night. Huge storm going on. Nice and spooky for the rest of our episode. Let's go back to my notes. Let's go grab those first before we continue our adventure. So we leave behind Stockton, California. And we leave all the number fives there. You have to shut off the episodes. You can't listen to anything. You can't until you defeat ten alien warlords. You can't listen to the rest of the episode. But 
For the rest of us, we're leaving behind Stockton, California. We're headed to somewhere in Texas. This is year 1896-1897. Super vague, I know. But that's the least of the problems with this story that we're, we're about to go. We're somewhere in Texas. Bing! We're standing around. We're in the middle of nowhere, which is pretty much describes most of Texas, especially back in the year 1896. And this is the story with this one. There are these three dudes hanging out in a field. And they see an airship flying overhead. And they're like, oh, look, it's one of those newfangled devices we read about in the newspaper. They're pointing up in the sky. And it goes, and it starts to crash towards them. They're like, ah, and it's like coming closer and closer. And they're like, ah, run. Where do we run to? We're in the middle of nowhere. That's a giant ship flying towards us. So they scatter, but really they don't because, okay, so my narrative version, let's go back. Let's say what actually happened. I started making it all dramatic. One guy's like running, he's sweating. The other guy's like saving a baby that's just standing there. Run, 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 picks the baby up, keeps going. That's not what happened. The actual version of the report is, is, okay, wait a second. I got my notes mixed up. I got my notes mixed up. The crashing story (laughs) comes later. This is what actually happened. Now, this one's going to be even funnier because of what I just built up. That's not what happens. In Texas, in 1896, three witnesses are standing around, (laughs) and this ship goes... It just lands. It doesn't impact the ground at all. And the three men are kind of standing at there. Now, if you picked number one, bing, you're one of those three men. You're just standing there and you're looking around at this spacecraft. This vehicle from another world has landed in front of you. And you're like, well, golly, look at that thing. And some aliens get off of it, but they're not. Well, technically, they're aliens, but they look like humans there's five of them so five humans depart from this airship they're described as particularly dressed men so these five dudes get off the ship and you're figuring okay there's three of us there's five of them if this becomes a fight odds are not in our favor however i did hear about a guy in stockton who beat up three giant dudes i think we could take these five dudes but really you're not really thinking about beating these guys up Because you're not insane like I am. You're thinking, this is first contact. I'm going to be one of the first humans to ever talk to someone from another planet. These aliens walk up to you and begin speaking perfect English. How do you know English? And they say, well, that's a good question. You see, back in 1553, one of your so-called explorers came to the North Pole. He spoke English, and he taught us. We're from there. And you're thinking, Santa? And they're like, no, 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 not Santa. Even more intriguing than Santa. These five men then go on to tell you that they're actually the descendants of the lost tribe of Israel. So when Israel was split up, when they are just getting demolished back in olden times, and the 12 tribes separated across the planet, Apparently, one of the tribes went to the North Pole and built spaceships. So if you pick number one, you meet these dudes, these guys who say they're from Israel, like thousands of years ago. Now they have a spaceship. And you're like, that's interesting. 
Okay, but that, that is as interesting as it gets. I'm going to leave. And as you go to leave, they use their tractor beam technology, what we call a rope, and they throw it over you. They lasso you. They pull you into the ship. You're like, no, no, no. For the rest of your short life, no, they're going to give you injections. So they're going to make you a cyborg. So you live hundreds of years. You are going to travel the universe with them. You're like, Jason, that's awesome. But you're basically the space age equivalent of a Jehovah's Witness where you just have to fly through space and then like you get in a spacesuit and you're knocking on the doors of other spaceships and you're like, can I tell you about the good word? And they're like, no, go, no one's here. No one's piloting the ship now. This is a AI controlled. This is the voice of a robot. Everyone's in cryogenic sleep. And you're like, oh, and then you're like floating back to your ship and you turn around and you see aliens like looking through the portholes. Is he gone yet? Is he gone? That is your fate. Your fate is to join these five men, travel through the galaxy, trying to missionary to people about you being the Lost Tribe of Israel. For the next one, we're going to an unknown location. Year unknown as well. Now, it's not because my notes are bad. It's because this just appeared in an old-timey newspaper. But we're going to assume the story's legit as we travel to unnamed city, USA. Population, it's just the picture is population. There's a picture of a guy just shrugging his shoulders. Two dudes are hanging out in a field. You're like, Jason, seriously? How vague are these stories? Two dudes, don't interrupt me. Two dudes are hanging out in a field and they see an airship. Yeah, basically, at this point, I think I can just cut that part out. It's always going to be the same. Anyways, but this airship, this is the one I got mixed up. This airship, it's crashing. It's exciting, isn't it? Whoa, we got to run. Look out. You're afraid people are going to start throwing like religious texts out of the ship. Ah, but they're not. The ship's getting closer and closer. And then a guy's standing in front of you. You're like, what? What in tarnation was that? Where'd that magical ship go? And the pilot, apparently, I mean, if we assume this story is true, this is what happened. The ship was about to crash in front of these two dudes. And then there's just a guy standing in a field in front of him. And the guy goes, well, he's an alien. He's not just a, no- he looks like a normal human. But the assumption is he's some sort of alien. Not from around here. He's like Italian. So the people go, dude, what happened? Like your ship just crashed and then you're standing there. And he goes, no, 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 no. The ship didn't crash. And they're like, but we saw it coming towards the earth. He goes, yeah, yeah, that was all true. But what happened was, Right before it impacted the ground, I pulled out a shrink ray, shot the, my own ship I was piloting, and then put it in my pocket. Now, I swear I didn't make that story up. Somebody probably did, but I didn't. That was in some old-timey newspaper. Two guys said that they saw a ship, and right before it crashed, there was a guy standing there, and he says he had a shrink ray. That might honestly be... The dumbest story I've ever told over the course of 363, 364 episodes on this show. There's so many things wrong with that story. The main thing being, and I'm not a big science guy, but if a ship is crashing and then you shrink it, you, and put it in your pocket, one, you're, let's say the ship is traveling 20 miles an hour, and then you shrink it and put it in your pocket, it's going to go 20 miles per hour through your pocket. So it's basically going to destroy your pants. But really, the thing is, is that as it's coming down and you shrink it, now you're falling still 20 miles per hour and you're putting something in your pocket that's 20 miles an hour, which is a combined force of 40 miles per hour. It would be like a train crash, a slow train crash happening in your pocket. And you're like, Jason, 
you're getting really hung up on this shrinking ray thing. I am, because there's another problem I have with this story. And it's really how it ends. That way. Imagine you're standing out in the fields, and you see a spaceship. Imagine it's today, and you see a spaceship crash in front of you. All of a sudden, there's an alien standing there with his arms crossed in some boy band pose. And he's like, I bet you're wondering what happened to my spaceship. And you're like, I, yes, I'm a little curious about that. He goes, well, I shrunk it, and I put it in my pocket. Then what happens? Like, at what? that's what's so bizarre to me about this story. One, the physics of it. But two, okay, and if somebody told me the story, and I've had people tell me some weird stories like face-to-face and email even weirder stories. If someone told me the story, my first question, I wouldn't be talking about pocket physics. I'd be going, and then what happened? Did he just turn and walk away? Did he blow the ship back up? Like, what? then what happened? It's probably the most puzzling thing. Because there's no acceptable ending. Because he either goes, oh, I just wanted to show off my new technology, makes the ship grow back up and flies away in front of these two dudes, or doesn't, which is even weirder, because then he's just walking around with a spaceship in his pocket. Oh, I'm just headed to the saloon. What? Why did you land in the middle of a field? Why did you? You don't even have to do that. So bizarre. So if you picked number two, your best friend is an alien. Whoa, that's cool. And he has the shrink ray spaceship. But he's constantly like, hey, you want to go to Taco Bell? You're like, yeah, sure. You want me to drive? He's like, no, 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 I'll drive. Oh, dang it. He flies around in a blimp, a super slow blimp. And then right where he goes or where he wants to go, he dive bombs the parking lot. And then right before you hit the ground, he shoots the shrink ray and throws the ship in your pocket. So basically, whenever you want to go somewhere, you take a 40 mile per hour punch in your thigh. Uh, he's like, oh, I forgot my wallet at home. Let's get back in the vehicle. You're like, no, no, no. Flying around. So, I mean, <laughs> I guess that's not a bad fate. You just get punched a lot. What else did we have earlier? Oh, intergalactic missionary and uh, gladiator. So, there you go. <laughs> you get punched in the, in the leg all the time. And you can't take the ship. Can't steal a ship. Can't steal a shrink ray. You can't be like... So, there you go. Get punched. I honestly think... I'm sure there's at least one physicist who listens to this show. I honestly think it would do more than a 40-mile-per-hour punch. I think reducing a giant airship and throwing it into your pocket, just the mass of the airship alone, would probably rip your leg off. But, until I get a comment or an email from a physicist, you just walk around with the bruise. I will update. I will update this podcast if I later find out, it will shred meat and bone if you get hit with a miniature, if a miniature airship goes into your pocket. Let me know, people at NASA or MIT. Let's go ahead and move on to our next one. So we've left behind the ones and the twos. N- number one is they're out doing their holy mission in space. Number two, ugh, rubbing their leg. Oh, my leg. They got a Charlie, permanent Charlie horse. Because like, let's go on a road trip and we're going to stop at every diner we see. No. The rest of us were going to Springfield, Missouri, April 10th, 1897. We got an actual place and a date for this one, so that's good. W.H. Hopkins is hanging out on the ground, and he sees a landed airship. So it's not floating around. So you're like, isn't it just the ship? Isn't that just a land ship? Well, it had like the blimp thing. It had these giant propellers, and he's walking up to the ship, and he's like, 
Curiouser and curiouser. Hmm. I'm going to take a look at one of these airships that I've read about in the news. So he's walking up the ship, and then he sees the crew. He sees a beautiful, naked woman walking along the ship. And she looks at him, kind of gives him a heads up, like, hmm, yeah. Doesn't blush, doesn't run away. And then another beautiful naked woman appears walking along the ship. And then there's more. There's just a bunch of beautiful naked women on the ship. And at this point, he has like the equivalent of an old-timey erection. I'm sure they were the same, but they just like would also be accompanied with like the whiff of sarsaparilla. And he's walking along and he's seeing all these beautiful women. And then he sees a naked dude with a beard show up. And he's kind of like, like it didn't do. He's not into that. He starts asking them questions. He goes, where are you from? Now, that's stupid. Like, obviously, I get it. Maybe he's hoping they'll take him home to a place of more beautiful women with their own airships. But if I saw... But there's two different things here. Obviously, like, if I saw a UFO in the middle of nowhere, I'd be like, oh, my God. Like, is this from an alien planet? Like, where are these guys from? If I saw a UFO and was surrounded by beautiful naked women, I'm not worried about where the aircraft is from. That's the least of my worries. My question is, hey, what's your name? Do you have a phone number? Snapchat? Like... I'm not, and you guys may think, oh, Jason's just doing a bit. I challenge you that if you walk in the middle of the spooky, spooky woods and you saw a UFO in a clearing and it was surrounded by the most beautiful women, what are you, what are your eyes going to be drawn to? Is it going to be drawn to the craft that can cut through space and time like an angel's whisper? Or are you going to be checking out all the hot chicks? It's complete. I I would I would not ignore the UFO, but I'd be focused on the girls. But anyways, this guy apparently goes, "Where are you from?" And they they can't really talk English. They weren't hanging out at the North Pole. Apparently, these people they just pointed up and said a word that Hopkins said sounded like Mars. Now that's the end of his story. And unlike the shrinking story, I think more stuff. I think the shrinking story just kind of ended. And then everyone just kind of stood there awkwardly for a couple minutes, and then they just turned around and walked in different directions. This story, I think he probably, like, snuck on, <laughs> snuck on board the ship. He's like, oh, he knocks out a guard and then has to, like, imitate him. But instead of, like, putting on his uniform, he just takes all of, off all of his clothes, and he's just walking around. And he's, like, drilling holes in the side of the ship and looking through it like it's a Porky's movie. They're like, no, no, you've depressurized the room. People are blowing up as they leave orbit. They're like, ah. They find all these peoples that he made in it, and the ship just decompresses. But anyway, so they never make it back to Mars. Anyways, that's the story of Hopkins. So if you picked the number three, you get a pair of binoculars, right? And you are a 100 miles away from all this, and you get to look through the binoculars, and you see a ship land in the middle of nowhere. You see a bunch of sexy, sexy women walking on the ship, and you're like, oh, man, I totally wish I could get on that ship. You're looking through your binoculars. You're like, oh, man, this sucks. Like, And then you feel a hand, a tentacle on your shoulder. And it says, oh, yes, if you want to get close, I am friends with the captain. I'm also an alien, hence the tentacle. I'm friends with the captain of that ship. You come with me, and I will let you walk around on the naked boat, right? And so you go with the tentacle. <laughs> it's just a giant tentacle. You turn around, it's just a tentacle. There's nothing else with a mouth, tentacle with a mouth. And so you go with the tentacle, and but you realize you're going in the opposite direction. You also realize that the tentacle is driving like a 1988 Datsun. 
And you're like, this is weird. Where's your spaceship? Tentacle's like, it's in the shop. My real spaceship is in the shop. And it's like, driving. You're trying to figure out how a tentacle, which is one tentacle, can drive and both hit the gas. But it's working. And the car's just driving farther and farther away from the ship. And you're like, oh, this is getting kind of sketchy. And then the tentacle drives you out to the middle of the woods. And you're like, what? This this is not good. And Tentacle's like, no, 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 it's fine. And so it <laughs> takes you into a cave. And you're like, ah. Takes you into a cave. And you go into the cave. And then the Tentacle is like, no, deeper, deeper into the cave. And so you go deeper into the cave. And then you get knocked on the back of the head with the, with like a mallet. It's holding a, It was holding a mallet the whole time. You were never suspicious until now. It was like a giant Donkey Kong mallet. You never questioned it. Knock. And then when you wake up, you are on the naked ship. He told you the truth. He told you the truth. You're on the naked ship. But you're, you're, a, you're a space missionary. So you're in a little business suit on the ship. You don't even get to be naked. And everyone else is walking around you naked. And they're like, you are going to travel. We've teamed up with these guys from the North Pole. We've all converted. But we're naked. That's our species. We're just beautiful naked people. You are just some space ministry guy. We're going to travel the galaxy. And you're going to deliver the good word. You're going you're to knock on spaceships and deliver the good word. That Glipglop is your savior. You're like, I don't believe in Glipglop. And that's when you get your first... Electric shock. And actually, no, it's not electric shock. Feels like a tentacle goes down your throat and expands. A white hot, <laughs> white hot tentacle. And that's when you realize that every time you look at one of these beautiful women, or if you're into it, the beautiful dude, and you start to like feel like you're in love with them, this tentacle, this white hot tentacle explodes in your throat and it hurts really, really bad. So. That is what happens if you pick number three. That's also what happens when you don't pre-plan out what happens to if you pick number three. That was all just kind of off the top of my head. I didn't even know where I was going with it when they walked into the cave. I was thinking, uh-oh, where's this going? Am I just going to edit all this out? No, I'm not. You know what? Actually, that's not fair. That's not fair. You the, After about a couple days, the tentacle leaves your throat. And you can bang one of the hot people on the on the ship. You're still a minister. You're still going to knock on spaceships. Because that's funny. But eventually, the tentacle releases you from the tentacle curse. And you can find true love as opposed to those boring people who picked number, number one. So, I figured, there we go. There we go. I should plan these out better. <laughs> now, we're headed to probably one of the most famous airship stories. I was actually talking to Flashman7870, you know, he was the Minecraft guy. But I was talking to him about this episode, and he's like, oh, I really don't like that story. Because he goes, it's kind of famous, I'm pretty sure it's been debunked. It's actually quite a fascinating story, and it really hasn't been debunked. So you're wrong, Flashman, you're wrong. No. So if you picked one, if you picked any number other than four, your fate has been sealed. Shut the podcast off now. I never want you guys to listen to it again. However, number four, come with me. Come, come, come over here. It's you and me, buddy. It's you and me, at least until the end of this segment. And then you are banished from the podcast as well. It's April 17th, 1897. We're in the city of Aurora, Texas. It's a sleepy little town. But it's 6 a.m. and oddly enough, everyone's awake. 
And in the town square, everyone's just kind of going about doing their thing. There's some chick talking about reading books and wanting to have a better life than she has. Nobody, Everyone's ignoring her. She's just a big old weirdo. Everyone else is just carrying eggs around or making bread and stuff like that. And up in the sky, you see this, this airship coming down, right? And it's a bunch of smoke is spewing out of it. Now, I like it. This story has the most detail of all. This airship was described as going the impossibly fast speeds of 10 to 20 miles per hour. Which is funny because that is not that would be nothing nowadays. Like, obviously, if someone was throwing a brick at you going 20 miles an hour, it's a lot. But that's nothing. But back then, to see something go 10 to 20 miles per hour, you'd be like, what in the world is that? Because you didn't go that fast unless you were on a particularly fast train. Or maybe, like, you were the Lone Ranger or something. For the most part, people didn't go that fast. So they're watching this ship come down 10 to 20 miles per hour. They're like, whoa, dude, look out. It might break the sound barrier. What's the sound barrier? I don't know, but it's so fast. It's smashes into a windmill. Hits the ground. Just starts to disintegrate. Pieces are going everywhere. Everyone's running out of the town, running towards this debris pile. And there they find little alien dude an actual alien supposedly not a man like they were looking and they said he was not of this world he's like (gasps) (sighs) have you accepted our lord and savior clip clop no he he didn't say anything he didn't say anything they come across a dead alien they did though say well this guy's obviously like toast he's all chopped up let's put him in a grave and let's give him a Christian funeral because that's what we would hope if we crash landed on another planet I don't think actually I don't think they were thinking that far ahead I think they just saw a dead thing a dead humanoid and said oh, let's give it a funeral we'll do a Christian funeral so they bury it they give it a little tombstone they bury some of the debris of the ship in his grave and the rest of it they're like well, what do we do with this stuff and they go ah just throw it in the well so they started throwing. This space-age metal in a well. People are like, yeah, that's fine. It's not going to affect our drinking water at all, right? That story came out in... That happened in April 17th, 1897. It was reported in the Dallas Morning Star, I believe, or the Dallas Morning Times. uh, Two days later. And it was a big hit. People in the area were like, whoa, dude, UFO crashed. But it was... I mean... You, we were having the as we've already shown, we were having these airship sightings all over the United States. So it didn't get a lot of publicity outside of the area. We'll jump ahead to the year 1935, and there was a guy named Brawley Oates who bought the property that the spaceship landed on. He didn't buy it because there was a spaceship on it; it's just good land. And he goes, "You know what? I I I want to start using that well. I want to start using that well." So he hauls up all the metal, gets rid of it. And gets terrible arthritis, which he always blamed was caused by the spaceship debris. Now, a lot of people say that this story is debunked. Like I said, Flashman was saying that it was debunked. And the reason why they say it was because Time Magazine ran an article on it saying the story wasn't happened. What happened was the author of the original article... There was a there was a disease going through town like spotted fever or something like that, and a bunch of residents were getting killed. And the, the there was supposed to be a train track that was built by the town, it didn't get built. So all of the like resources, commerce was getting diverted to other towns. Plus, they were having this horrible illness, and he wanted to build publicity for people to come to visit Aurora, Texas, and live there. 
and they would come there if there was a spaceship crash. Now, there's a couple things that we have to look at in the story. One, there's only one source for that story. It's an 86-year-old woman named Etta Peggs. She said the author of the article was Essie Hayden, and the newspaper was the Dallas Morning News, and she said he made it up. He made it up because he wanted to get people to come to the town. So the whole debunking thing is based on that one person story. Two, you have to be a special type of jerk to know that a horrible disease is sweeping your town and then tricking people to come to your town. Like, I can understand a disease is ravaging your town and you're trying to, like, do a straight return of the living dead, send more doctors moment to give medical personnel. But... If there's people, back in the day, people who studied this, because you know today we have UFOologists. Back then they were called airshipologists, which is hilarious. Imagine you're an airshipologist. You have your monocle and you're drinking your tea. And you see in the newspaper, hey, look at the UFO crash at Aurora. I can't wait to go find it. And you go out there and there's just a bunch of people dying in the streets. You're like, oh no, the aliens have caused this biological weapon. But... That's kind of a jerk move because you're really not going to get a bunch of people to come. And the, and the people that come, you know, they're just there to investigate aliens. They're not there to cure your horrible diseases. But anyways, a bunch of people didn't come to the town. It didn't really start to take effect until after Roswell. That's when Aurora, the people were digging up this old story back from 1897. The other thing about the debunking of it is that Other people have investigated it since. Now, this next part of the story happens from MUFON, which is the Mutual UFO Network. They they basically are doing all these investigations. They teamed up with a television show called UFO Files, and they go out to Aurora, Texas. They interview people, and people who are still alive, they were kids back then, they're like, I didn't directly see it, but my parents, they talked about it all the time. Like, this one person says, I wasn't allowed, I remember seeing the crash, but I wasn't allowed to go to the debris, but my parents did, and they said they saw the alien. Secondhand stories from a bunch of 80-year-olds. People are still saying it's true. Now, there's a plaque in town which says it's a legend, but the townspeople were saying it was true. And MUFON and UFO Files, they found a gravestone marker that's all worn out. It's from 1897. Their investigation was in 2005, so this is past, uh, this is more than 100 years. They find a gravestone marker that appears to have a picture of what looks like a flying saucer. But they can't be sure. It's just a weird image on this gravestone marker. And they have a metal detector, and they detect metal in the grave. So they go to the people who run the cemetery and said, hey, we're from this UFO show. We think there's an alien in there. Can we dig up the grave? And the cemetery people go, brains, brains. No, But the cemetery officials, the cemetery people, they're rotting underground. Cemetery officials say, no, you can't do that. And then, apparently, or supposedly, whatever word we want to use here, when the MUFON crew went back to that site, the plaque, the gravestone marker with the UFO symbol was gone. But they knew the general location. They said that they broke out their metal detector, and it picked up nothing. They said there ended up being like a little screw, like a little three-inch pipe there, but it was picking up nothing. So the idea is, is that This alien was underground there. It was picking up the debris. And then when they went back, the body was moved. The plaque was moved. The body was moved. That could be... It could also be that they are now at the wrong grave. They basically just showed up at a different location in the graveyard. And they're like, oh no, where did it go? And the real grave's over there. I mean, I don't think they're that stupid. But you've got to look at all these different options. 
they did, uh, this was another thing, they did go test the well water. And the well water had high traces of aluminum. And when the ship crashed, they said, you know, we don't know what material this is. It looks kind of space-agey. But they figured it was some sort of aluminum alloy. So, you know, you have these weird... All of this stuff can be explained away legit. Like, you have old old people basically arguing over what the truth is, but you know, they're, all 80s, they're, they're all 80 years old or more. So how much are they actually remembering? I'm 43, and I keep forgetting whether or not I've taken my medicine for the day. So when I'm 86, I don't know if I'll remember whether or not an alien crash-landed in my town. So we have all that stuff. So did an alien really crash in Aurora? Are these airships actually a legit phenomenon? Was it something that people were actually seeing? Or was it or was it some sort of mass panic where people were looking up at the skies? They were concerned about the upcoming century. They were already hearing in the news about all these amazing technological advancements around the world and every cloud or misshaped object in the sky. That fat bird who was eating too many... Uh, sardines flying around. Ah, it's a UFO. All that stuff that's going on. Was it that? Or was there a legitimate phenomenon of airships back in 1896, 1897? Why those two years as well? They kind of tapered off for quite a while. But if you picked the number four, you know the answer. Because you were that alien that crash-landed in Aurora, Texas. <laughs> And you, you, you're all chopped up. Your body's all mangled up. And then they bury you underground. And then you're, they don't know that you have a healing factor. Uh, uh, and then you wake up. Pitch darkness. You're like, what? This, is not, this isn't my spaceship. And you start clawing at the wood. Uh, uh, what, what is this space age material that I've been surrounded in? And then you realize it's wood. And you're like, oh, maybe I can dig my way out. And it also sucks because I'm an alien and I don't need oxygen to breathe. So I can be in this box forever. And you're like banging on the box. And then you don't, you also, you don't need food or water. So basically from 1897 to 2005, you're just underneath six feet of dirt. And you're just like, let me out. It's been over a hundred years. This sucks. Uh, actually you don't even know how long it's been because you don't have a watch and maybe you have a good in- sense of internal time but for over 100 years you've just been clawing at wood also you don't have fingernails so it's basically like nubs just rubbing on wood you can never get out there's too much dirt and then you hear a bunch of nerds above you shuffling around they're like well maybe with the coordinates this looks like some sort of ufo i wonder let's break out the metal detector and you're like yes yes nerds find me find me and release me from my dark grave you're putting metal you're like moving metal on top of you detect this hurry up detect this you're the metal detector detecting stuff and then you hear some cemetery officials come out and they're like get off of here nerds go away go away shoot 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 they're chasing them off with the broom Ah." and you're like no that was my only hope and then a couple days later like these fbi agents show up and they're like this is going on way too long and they dig you up they dig you up you're like ah thank you And you crawl out of the grave, and then you're like, thank you, law enforcement officers. I really appreciate it. And then the moon, it's it's your alien skin, and you're immediately invigorated. You're like, yes, yes. And then you gut the FBI agents, and you, you pull their guts out. And they're like, what did we ever do to you? We were your buddies. 
We we were going to put you in a cloning facility and cut your organs out, but now we're not going to because you ripped our guts out. We're going home. And they leave and die. And then you run off into the woods. So if you pick number four, you are an alien hiding in the woods looking for revenge against the humans who, who gave you a proper burial. They thought you were dead, but you weren't. And they tormented you unknowingly in a dark grave. So if you pick number four, now you travel America. You, you're a backpacker who wears human flesh over your giant, <laughs> giant gray alien head, but nobody notices it. You just have like human flesh and you accept rides from people and then you murder them. And then that's it. That's, that's, you're just a serial killer alien is what you become. Which, to be fair, would be the best kind of serial killer there is. Because think about it. You be you want to leave fingerprints? Anytime someone saw you doing something, they'd be like, yeah, I saw this guy who was like dating this chick for like three months and then she got like stabbed to death. But he was also a three foot tall alien. <laughs> the cops would be like, what? That's insane. So it would be the perfect alibi because you'd be an alien. You just take your skin off every time. Like, the dude was looking at you, and then you put it back on before your girlfriend turned back around. You could get away with so much amazing stuff. I mean, not saying that being a serial killer is amazing, but if you were a serial, if you had to be a serial killer, you might as well be an alien serial killer. And think about it. Let's say they do catch you, and they arrest you, and you, you go to trial, you're found guilty. They go to electrocute you in the electric chair right as they're strapping you down. You pull out, you pull, pull out your little shrink ray, and... Shrink the electric chair, put it in your pocket, and then you just stand there. And they're like, what happened to the electric chair? And you're like, I don't know. I don't know. It was like this when I came in here. There was no electric chair. So that is today's episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. Very, very well-planned episode, I'm sure you could tell. But I really love doing this show, and I hope you guys enjoy listening to it. Actually, all of you guys aren't listening to it anymore because you picked a number and... Your fate has been sealed. But to the people who didn't pick a number, I really, really appreciate it. I hope you guys had fun. I have so much fun doing this show. And I really hope you guys do have a great day. When I intro this show like that, 100% authentic. I want you guys to have a great day. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 